0: Welcome to Poll Quotes. I'm Michal Stein.
1: And I'm Lydia Abraha. This week on Poll Quotes, we're taking a step back and looking at some stories we may have missed. So now we're bringing you a Poll Quotes roundup. We've invited a few of our colleagues from the RRJ to help us break down some journalism stories. Joining us today is Jordan Curry, one of our copy editors.
2: Hi, thanks for having
1: me. We also have Lindsay Rashkowen, one of our chiefs of research. Hi, Lydia. Thanks for having me. And we have Aurora Zvoch from the sales and sponsorship team. Hi, it's a pleasure.
0: Now that we're all settled in, let's get right to it. Lindsay, what's your pull
3: quote? Okay, so my pull quote today is from Sheila Sampath from Shameless, who said, not protesting, for example, what's happening in the province right now, which at the time was the uh, coastal gas link pipeline on Wet'suwet'en territory, but... Um, It's a very strong political opinion, and people should be questioning whether or not they can write objectively if they don't have a problem with what's happening. So that comes from an article that I wrote with one of my colleagues. Uh, We were writing about protesting and journalism and kind of exploring the notion or the idea of staying objective in the face of intense oppression. So I know that in some places, like CBC, for example, they're changing the name of objectivity to try and make it, um, they, they use the term impartial now. Uh, but I feel like it's just the same term with just like a fancy new name. We use it in the same way. Anyway, so for the article that I was writing, um, I really, it ended up changing a lot from what I had originally wanted it to be to what it was now, which was just like, kind of just like a conversation about what objectivity means and how to stay objective, whereas I kind of wanted to look more at what Sheila Sampath was saying, which is that, first of all, objectivity is unattainable, but secondly, that, like, should we even kind of want it to be attainable when we're dealing with things like um, tearing apart indigenous lands and ignoring territories? Like, at what point are we trying to rationalize with an oppressor and an oppressive situation? So, yeah, so it did end up changing, like, quite a bit, Um, and I think that everybody kind of agrees or agreed in the story that objectivity wasn't really, isn't, like, isn't an accurate goal to have, but, yeah, I just kind of wanted to look at it, like, from a different perspective and thinking that, you know, maybe the notion of objectivity in general, like isn't something that we should deal with. One of the things that Sheila Sampath ended up saying that we did end up using in the piece was looking at uh, disclosing biases that we might have, which is when we, she did actually mention that when we look at objectivity, it's usually from uh, this perspective of like a white heterosexual male uh, settler. And so kind of changing that notion of like objectivity to be just, acknowledging that and acknowledging that we have these originating biases that we have to either work against or at least acknowledge when we write articles, which I agree with like 100%. I think everybody should disclose where they're coming from and their biases and their notions of fairness, I guess.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the story that you're talking about?
3: Yeah. Um. So I forget when the Wet'suwet'en solidarity protests started happening in Toronto. But they did happen, I think, earlier on in the year. And the thing that kept on going through my head over and over again was earlier on in J school, they tell us not to attend protests. They tell us not to participate in protests. They tell us to stay objective. (laughs) But I've been on the indigenous beat at the RRJ for uh, like a few months now. And so it felt like if I didn't show up, can I even write objectively about a community and people and um, just like indigenous issues in general if I'm like not even going to be there? If I'm just going to try and stay impartial by just not even addressing it? So, yeah, so I thinking about the protest I brought it up with my co-writer we ended up interviewing um, a few people who are on the Canadian Association for journalists ethics committee uh, they didn't speak from that committee like they were just speaking as their knowledge as um, journalism educators and whatnot and they kind of dance around the word objective right they kind of don't they don't say that objective is a objectivity is like attainable they don't say that objectivity is something that is even real anymore especially from cbc because they use the term impartial but they're kind of saying that even though they don't like say you have to be objective you have to give equal space to two sides of a story they like they are that's the end goal is what they're saying um so it did end up changing quite a bit. I, I used the Sheila Sampath quote because I think that she is one of the few people that I did talk to that very much addressed objectivity as like basically a lie and something that comes from stems from privilege and having a lot of privilege to be able to be objective as well, which is kind of the how I ended up wanting the story to become. But she was just one voice and I think it deserves like so much more merit than Mm -hmm. just one voice because I think she is speaking for people that don't usually have a lot of space in journalism in general
0: Lindsay thank you very much for bringing us that pull quote let's turn it over to Lydia Lydia what's your pull quote
1: So my pull quote is actually a tweet from global news journalist, Travis Donrosh. So him and a bunch of journalists were promised by the Ford media staff to speak with minister Lisa McLeod, um, after she had gone through an intense question period at city hall last week. Um, the question period had to do with the new legislation, um, concerning kids with autism and, um, Last minute, McLeod ended up canceling the media appearance uh, due to, quote unquote, security concerns. Okay, so uh, the tweet that I'm going to pull quote from Don Raj is the Queens Park Press Gallery was blatantly lied to today by Ford Nation staff. We were told numerous times Minister McLeod would answer questions from reporters on the autism program on a day when thousands gathered on the lawn to protest changes and she did not. So, yeah, that was uh, a very powerful tweet to me and in calling out the, I guess, avoidance of talking to the media that a lot of um, foreign ministers uh, have take, has started doing. So uh, situa- this situation made me think a lot about the media's responsibility to hold political officials accountable, um, which has been even harder when there is this practice of avoiding the media. Um, and even though there's a lot of reasons why that's the case or that culture exists, um, it's really important that people in the public sector have the responsibility to ensure transparency by taking every chance they can to talk to the media. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my pull quote for today, this week.
0: I think that's a really good time to bring this issue up because it, it really does seem to be a pattern of... Um, officials in this new provincial government not remaining
1: accountable to the media. I, I know that we have uh, one of the features going on right now um, for the magazine is about like how the Ford government is really uh, taking a different stance on uh, speaking with media, <laughs> I guess to put it like simply. Um, I know Alana Rita is uh, working on that one. And um And I I just, I'm really excited to see what comes about it because there's been so much happening um, in that respect.
0: Something to look forward to uh, when our magazine launches in a little over a month. So thank you, Lydia, for that pull quote.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank
2: you. Jordan, what's your pull quote? My pull quote uh, comes from a story written by Joe Livingstone, and it was written for New Republic. And it's called, With Michael Jackson, It's Different. Why his fall from grace implicates all of us. And of course, this story was written um, in response to the Leaving Neverland documentary that was recently released about all of the allegations um, uh, surrounding Michael Jackson and the the sexual abuse um, allegations. And um, so Joe Livingstone wrote, We are nowhere near reaching closure on the matter of the King of Pop. What L'Affaire Jackson does teach us, however, is that the American dream of fame and fortune is a sick institution with a pathological relationship to the truth. It is a problem that touches on every sphere of culture all the way down to the most basic values that we call American. Meritocracy, money-spinning, male heroism, race-blind justice. Um, And I I just think that our culture... um, is just so stunned by uh, Michael Jackson's, uh, the allegations against Michael Jackson. Um, And this is nothing new. We've seen this with R. Kelly, um, which that situation also had a documentary about that. um, And how even though all of these um, allegations are not new, they've been following Jackson for 25, 26 years. um, Our culture is just a little bit still shocked by that, the most powerful pop star in the world at one point um, turned out to not be so great. These allegations are nothing new, but I think because it's finally being removed from a joking context um, and it's being brought seriously, you know, we're no longer in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s where pop stars were untouchable. They were seen as practically gods, um, that just went up into the clouds and no humans could ever touch them. Um, And now we're in the digital age with social media. It's a lot easier to interact with celebrities and for um, journalists to interact with those celebrities in a way that isn't just praising them and just basically being PR for them. Um, Now that we're in that post Me Too era, um, I think it's uh, really important that now we're finally taking old allegations um, just as seriously as uh, newer ones. Overall, I think um, Livingstone's piece just was really important to show that it doesn't matter how powerful or successful somebody is, they should always just be held accountable to the same level as anyone else. So thank you, Jordan, for that pull quote. Thank you.
1: Okay, Michal, what is your pull quote?
0: Okay, so there's truly nothing I love more than a poorly executed scam. So unsurprisingly, I was quite thrilled about the news that broke on Tuesday about Operation Varsity Blues in the United States. So Operation Varsity Blues uh, was an FBI investigation that um, looked at, I think it was 33 different people who kind of defraud lied and bribed and defrauded their way into getting their children into different universities and uh the two most high profile people in this operation are Lori Laughlin, also known as um Aunt Becky on Full House and Felicity Huffman um who many people know as she's on Desperate Housewives and the first thing I want to note is it's not new that Um, Wealthy and powerful people, specifically in the United States, I should say, go through many loopholes to get their children into whatever school they want. Um, This is often done through donations. Even you think about hiring expensive SAT tutors, um, getting their children opportunities to do exciting internships and beefing up their resume. Like, this is not a new phenomenon. And there are many ways where it can be done quite legally. Um, but one thing I think um, this case really articulates is how different college culture is in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and th- in some ways, this is maybe one of the biggest differences, because in Canada, the way that you get into university, uh, we don't have SATs, which I think is wonderful. It, it's all based on your high school mark, so um, this, I think, is very different than the United States. To bring this back to an R. J. angle, my pull quote this week comes from a freelance writer in New York named Lindsay Robertson. She writes, If you're a media outlet covering or owning the college cheating scandal, and you give out unearned internships to the kids of celebs as favors to their parents, and it's always a disaster for the people who have to work with them because the kids totally don't care, um, well, I see you. And I think this is a really interesting point, and this is how uh, it it brings up a lot of questions of how things work in the journalism world, and honestly, both in the United States and in Canada. In terms of accessing journalism jobs, I think this is something we all have come into contact with. Um, Internships are really important, and often those internships are unpaid, and and that alone is a, a first barrier of entry into the industry. And... Um, I think that as much as I love a scam, I, I think it is kind of a sober moment to think about, like, right, what are the barriers to access and um, in, in our own industry? And um, how can we make space for people who um, might not have even had the chance to come as far as we have just being in our final year of journalism school? And that's my poll quote. Thank you,
1: Michal. Finally, our third guest, Aurora. Let's hear your pull quote. Hi. So my pull quote comes from a story
4: that surrounded UFC 231, a mixed martial arts event that took place in Toronto in December that I attended as part of my feature for the upcoming magazine where I spoke to Ariel Hawani, a Canadian and uh, now New York ESPN-based uh, MMA journalist, and at two thirty one, there was a press conference where, of course, MMA f- um, media and fans are invited to c- attend. But um, the Mixed Martial Arts Journalist Association, after the event, made a statement that pointed out the UFC had asked the journalists to avoid the subject not pertaining to people who, at the event. Essentially, a controversy um, at the time. Was about the the debut ESPN card as UFC was entering this partnership with the broadcast rights um, with ESPN for 2019. The debut card had featured Greg Hardy, a former NFL player with a history of domestic violence, as well as um, a, uh, Rachel Ostovich, who identified as a domestic violence um, victim, and that at the conference. Um, the MMA reporters were told to essentially avoid that topic, not blatantly, but just to avoid topics that didn't pertain to the fighters at this UFC 231. The MMAJA issued a statement saying, given the miscommunication, MMAJA is seeking to secure a remedy with the UFC. Any journalist covering a mixed martial arts event should be able to ask relevant questions during the public media events, particularly regarding newsworthy, newsworthy items, and when I spoke to Ariel Hawani after the event, he called this a tone deaf decision, a dubious decision at best. But on that, with the UFC, the fight organization, um, having pushback, not wanting to talk about it, Ariel Hawani followed up in a later episode of a new podcast called The MMA Reporters. And they dedicated the first episode just to talk about the whole controversy as part of doing their jobs as journalists what that whole experience was and he also brought up that by that point in around January 2019 the fight was approaching the fight card was approaching with Greg Hardy and Rachel Ostevich and even those two fighters had essentially said they want to exclude themselves from that narrative and Errol Huani said a lot of fans don't care and I'm getting that more often than not it's the point where I start to question myself I don't think I've talked about this enough and now I'm starting to think I've talked about it too much. I get a sense from fans that they want us to stop talking about it and at the end of the day, who are we serving? We're serving the fans. So on this, part of mixed martial arts journalists, it's a very niche beat and they have access to their sources, the fighters, the fight organizations in a very different way than a lot of beats do. And in a narrative like this, where they want to be relevant, they want to ask questions. This was just a very poignant, poignant argument being made by a couple of journalists and um, who just wanted to do their job and wanted to really legitimize their their uh, positions with that. it's within their rights to ask these kinds of questions, and whether it's narratives that uh, fans do want to hear or you know fighters do want to participate in, I think. Um, MMA journalism is is really wanting to become mainstream and participate in bigger conversations than just who's fighting.
0: Thanks, Aurora, for uh, bringing that really interesting insight about MMA journalism, and I'm really excited to read your feature to learn more about it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Aurora, and Jordan, and Lindsay, for joining us today. That that was really fun. Thank yep. you
3: so thanks much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us Hear Me. Out.
1: And that's our show. Poll Quotes is produced by Michael Stein and by me, Lydia Abraha.
0: Thanks to Jordan Curry, Lindsay Rashkowen, and Aurora's Bach for joining us today. Thanks to Angela Glover and Lindsay Hanna for technical help. Our executive producer is Sonia Fata.
1: If you learned something today, please help us spread the word by sharing our show on social media and leaving us a rating on iTunes. The second edition of RRJ Unpublished, our panel event, is going to be taking place on
0: Tuesday, March 19th at 7pm in the Venn at the Rogers Communications Centre. Doom and gloom is unavoidable when journalism is your beat, but new paths forward are presenting themselves every day. The RRJ and industry guests gather to consider fresh approaches and share personal insights into the business and practice of journalism in a new era. What's working and what challenges remain? We're going to be joined by Elamine Abdel Mahmoud, Jesse Brown, San Graywell, Hannah Hogue, Annabelle Sutar, and William Wolf Wiley. And we would love to see you there. We've got a link to tickets in the show notes, and more information is available at rrj.ca. You can find me on Twitter at Liddy and me at Michal Stein, too. You can also visit rrj.ca for new stories every week. We'll see you next week on Poll Quotes.